Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today, we head into the final chapter in our study of the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul, as he's done in other letters, uh, he begins to outline the characterization of the behavior and the patterns of living that ought to typify the people of God. We will share with you the five spheres where Paul calls the church to live in the supernatural peace of God. Thanks for listening. A few just really cherished memories of my childhood. One of them in particular has to do with a repeated event, usually twice a year, Christmas and Thanksgiving. Uh, we living over here in Florence would travel down to the Nina, Appleton, Fremont area where my extended family uh, lived, and we would have Thanksgiving and, and Christmas. And when I was young, I can just remember just very vividly the joy of those moments where the whole family was gathered together. My dad was the oldest of four boys, and so when they would gather together, they just had a good time, just had fun. And me as a little uh, whippersnapper, you know, I just remember such love being there. Uh, My sister and I would routinely get uh, wrestling time with my uncles, and it seemed like we lived in a Norman Rockwell painting, it felt like, with Grandma having multiple pies baked for either event, and a turkey or a ham, and As I got older, I realized that some of that nostalgia was simply that. And, you know, everybody's flawed. And, you know, I I can see clearly how it wasn't always as, uh, what was I saying, Norman Rockwell-esque, right? It 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 wasn't always like that. But um, I still still hold on to those memories. For, For me, they become a picture of that's what family ought to look like. That's what it feels like to be part of a family. Still something that even unintentionally to this day, I would try to strive towards with my own family. Trying to recreate and manufacture those moments, even for my little children as they would grow up. Seeing the love that comes from a family. As I think about those memories, it causes me to just want to give attention to how we as God's family ought to treat one another. And ought to act and ought to walk through this world. If I can picture in my mind a nostalgic picture that is for me what a family ought to look like. Do we have anything else that would be given to us in scripture for what a family ought to look like? And for many of us, we come from situations where we don't have those Norman Rockwell moments. We don't have memories like that. And maybe for you, family is something that contains a bit of disillusionment or pain. But God has come to restore everything. And he offers to us in his word today. Some lessons that I want us to give our attention to as to what it looks like to live in the family of God. I'm excited about this message because I believe I'm going to have the opportunity just to, un- just to find within this text. To really uncover what God has placed here in five realms. And I've entitled this, uh, The Key to Peace for God's People. And this, is, I think, by far is one of the greatest things that the church really has been lacking on. But God still extends to us. Is the ability to find rest, the ability for us to find peace with where we find ourselves in our circumstances, in relationship to one another, uh, even into that own inward struggle uh, that so many people have of doubt and of fear. What would God be calling us to that would be appropriate for his family that helps us to live in a way where we find peace? Today, as we look into Philippians chapter 4, we're going to uncover five keys 
five primary keys that I want to challenge us with, and I even challenge myself with, for how we can find peace in the variety of circumstances in which we we face. If you can recall with me, as we've been walking through the book of Philippians, we have uncovered that Paul's letter is really a thank you note for how the church in Philippi wanted to partner with the work of the apostle. They heard he was in the slammer. He got locked up. And for them, that was the worst thing that could happen. But Paul writes so that he will change their perspective. To say, as you and I have reviewed in the past, he says that, that uh, his imprisonment has actually served to advance the gospel. It didn't hinder it, but that's what the Philippians were afraid of. Um, Paul here, potentially under the threat of death. Again, the anxiety that comes from the Philippian church, not knowing peace, feeling like they got to handle this situation to fix it. He says, fellas, listen, for me to live is, is Christ and to die is gain. There's no downside here. He wants them to know that the way of the pattern of the world is not the pattern that's offered to us in the family of God, which means to live and to believe in Jesus Christ is also to suffer for him, And that's, that's really a concept that for many of us is just foreign to what either we've been brought up to or what our culture continually offers us. How could suffering be something that would glorify God? Well, this is what the letter is all about. And he says then in chapter 2 that if you have any comfort from being united with Christ, right? If you know the peace of God in a vertical sense, He says that same thing needs to be seen now on a horizontal into how we treat one another. In chapter 3, he gets into the primary heresy of the day. Do you remember as we looked at false teaching? We spent a couple weeks on that. And for Paul, there was false teaching that was coming in. That there was something that you needed to do. People who were really impressed with themselves. They had confidence in the flesh. Paul says, look, you got your list. My list is even better. And let me tell you this. When it comes to knowing Christ, nothing compares. I don't just continue on with what I was. Paul says, I consider it trash. It's rubbish compared to knowing Christ. So, so there, is, there is nothing that can merit any pleasure before God other than what Jesus has already done. Therefore, knowing him is the most important thing. And he says, I want to know him and, and the power of his resurrection, becoming like him in his death, even knowing him in suffering. So somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. And once again, Paul here is shifting their thinking. That kind of gets us updated today to chapter 4. Chapter 4 parallels the same thing Paul says in what Wendy read for us in Romans chapter 12. In fact, as we walk through this passage today, I'm going to kind of go back and forth back to Romans 12. uh, Because there's a few of the things that Paul is laying out as exhortations to the church that he also says to the Romans. You know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel here, folks, right? Uh, That which is true for the church down the road, it's true for the church here as well. And when it comes to the identity of living in this family, Paul says, here's what it looks like. I'm going to give you five ways that you can identify yourself living in the family of God and find peace. Peace that the world doesn't know, but a peace that is handed to those who are the redeemed. So Philippians chapter 4. Page 1829 in the Pew Bibles. We're going to go from verse 2 through verse 9. Please follow along as I read today. I plead with Yodia and Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers 
whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, my brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I don't think it's any stretch for us to easily identify the concept of peace being strewn throughout this short little passage. In fact, it begins almost impossibly for you to miss that Paul calls out two of the ladies in the church who are getting along. And so I want to be obedient to, to, the, to Paul. So I made a list of all the ladies in our church that aren't getting along. <laughs> Just kidding. Hope you enjoy my last sermon here ever. <laughs> I, was, I was reading one commentator on this that was talking about how he actually calls out these ladies by name. Yudia and Syntyche. He, and some people, especially in our world today, they think that that's a really taboo thing. How dare he do that? But that's, not, that's really a, a, a missed way of seeing this because Paul was the caretaker of the church. And the church loved Paul. He loved them the way a father would love children. And so for him not to call out their names would be, in effect, for them to think that he didn't love them enough to even mention it. Believe me, the Philippian church knew what was going on with Yudi and Syntyche. I mean, if it, if it was such a big deal that it reached the Apostle Paul in prison, they all knew what was going on. And for Paul not to say anything would really feel for them like they were slighted. To, that he doesn't care enough to talk about us. So just to say in our world today, you can see how that may be something that we wouldn't recognize as being okay. But for Paul, it's done out of a heart of love. And at any point... Uh, that you and I come into conflict with one another. Resolution is always need to be uh, coming from a heart of love. I got a few observations in these five keys I want us to see. The first deals with how we find peace with one another. Because you've got these two ladies that just can't get along. The key is reconciliation. The key for finding peace with one another is reconciliation. As we heard Wendy Read for us already in Romans 12. This was the uh, verse that maybe you heard. Is, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, or as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Uh, Jesus himself, as he's speaking to the crowds in their concept of worship, he says to them in Matthew chapter 5, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, Check out what he says. Leave your gift in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. When it comes to how the family ought to act, if we're going to have peace with one another, it's, it begins with reconciliation. Uh, Paul, as he's writing here to these two ladies and to the church in general, I want you to see a few things that he says in verse 3. He says, yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. 
along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Three things that he mentions as reasons, rationale for why they need to get along. First, he says, they contended where? At his side. Look, we worked together on this. We are co-laborers together. This isn't just some schmo down the road that you, you know, you're trying to pick a fight with. You, you, we worked together. The second thing he says is the context of the work. It wasn't like they were just putting up siding on the church. You know what they worked together on? Look what it says. At the cause of the gospel. You're, you're, you're not only working together, but the work that you're undertaking together, it represents not you. When we're talking about the work of the gospel, your behavior is representing God. And when people are looking at the two of you bickering and fighting and, and name calling and slandering one another and calling up your girlfriend. Did you hear what Yudia said the other day? I know she, what she was wearing. I couldn't believe what she was wearing. <laughs> this is a pattern of what some, some people that hit a little too close to home. <laughs> I can go on. I probably should dial it back a little but. You can see how that does not look well before the world. You can see how as people would look to see what the church in Philippi looks like. Well, we're going to go down the road to, to a different church because they're, they're just, I see how they treat one another there. Paul says, you work together at my side. You work together in the cause of the gospel. And then the third thing that he says, and this is one that I feel like is almost most important of all. At the end of verse 3, he says... Um, in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, check this out, whose names are in the book of life. Look, if we can't get our act together here on this side of eternity, don't feel like that in the sweet by and by that things are going to just suddenly be all repaired. Jesus says that which you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. That which you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The whole, the whole picture here is pursue forgiveness now. Pursue reconciliation now while you have the opportunity. You're not going to have a chance in eternity to, to never see this individual. You're going to live together forever. There, there, there's no cul-de-sacs in heaven. Everybody's on the same street. So get it worked out now. I love the word that he uses here. It's, a, it's reconciliation. The word is actually a financial term. It, it's the idea that you've got uh, four quarters, which you'd exchange for one what? $1. That's what it means to reconcile something. It means to make it add up. But here's the deal. Sometimes people like quarters and sometimes people like dollars. Let me talk about my own marriage here for just a second. Oh, I just saw her walk in the back. Oh, boy. So Emily and I, we had a good little spat the other day about laundry. Because I really shouldn't get into it. But I'm this far already, so I might as well go. So I like, to, I like to see the laundry done every day. And so I, I do the laundry every day, but I fold it, but I don't put it away because I'm routinely not the one dressing the children. I would do it, but she's routinely that one, and I'm not sure where everything goes. So she puts it all away. Um, but in this past week, I think because of snow days or sickness, for whatever reason, the laundry wasn't done. And so it piled up. And for Emily, that's her preference to just let it all be done one day instead of like every day having to do it. Now I see you just do a little bit every day. And she says you could do a lot all one day. Now let me ask you, does the laundry get done? Either way, it gets done. One of them is four quarters. The other one is a dollar. And so it, it came as we were kind of arguing about this, just the absurdity of like, 
you know, laundry is still getting done. Like we, we might each have our own way of doing it, but at the end of the day, it's all getting done. We need to reconcile this to one another. We need to see that this actually is going to work out just fine. This is, by the way, as a pastor, this is the majority of the arguments in church. When I hear of people getting bent out of shape for something, it's because they're just doing it a little different way than how you would want to do it. When it comes to cleaning the church, when it comes to decorating the church, when it comes to a lot of things that happen here. One of the reasons people get upset is not because there's actually anything wrong. It's just you wanted four quarters. The other person wanted a dollar. How foolish of us to think that that would divide us. And we're so petty sometimes. Paul says, I want Yudia and I want Syntyche to agree. And I want to point out one more time. Verse 2 says, agree in the Lord. Which means God has already reconciled himself and yourself. God has brought you the large distance. So if the vertical has been achieved, come on. Come on, ladies. Right? Come on, men. Come on, church. You can make that little reconciliation between one another as well. Uh, If you want to know peace with one another, this is it, folks. If you want to know peace, you've got to be willing to reconcile. And so you do what Jesus said. If you know that there's somebody that's got something against you, and if you're not, if you're even that person and not big enough to just be like, ah, I'm going to let it go. Like, I heard they said this thing about me. I was saying something about them too. So I just, we'll call it even. Just let it go. And if you can't let it go, you need to be a big enough person to see that the unity of the church is so very crucial because you carry the reputation of God before a watching world. Be reconciled with one another. I don't know if any of you have ever had that moment where you with your spouse are not getting along. Enjoy Anyone enjoy that time where you're not getting along? It's a lot of fun. Yeah, no. Uh, it's when things get resolved. It's when reconciliation happens and you know we're good again. And I find it's even more frightful when you think it might be somebody else. Do you ever think that there was someone else that has something against you? Did that ever keep you up at night? That happens to me. That happened to me uh, last weekend. I thought, and, and you know what? The devil loves to play with our minds on this too and really spin these conversations that are not part of real life. So you know what I did? I said, enough of this make-believe. I got on my phone and I called the individual. And I just said, look, what I did, if it any way offended you, I just got to ask you to forgive me. And on the other end of the phone, the voice said, uh, Ryan, it's all good. You don't need to worry about any of it. And I, I kind of pressed again. Are you sure? Are you sure? He said, yes, it's fine. That's how you find peace. I, I hung up the phone and went, oh, we're good. I had peace because I pursued reconciliation. Number two, if we're going to find peace within our circumstances, this is now the the day in and the day out of life. If you want to find peace within circumstances, here's the key. It's rejoicing. If you want to find peace in the day to day, whatever it is you're going to face, you and I need to learn to become a people who have joy. And Philippians, I'm sorry, Romans 12, again, here was the verse when he wrote, says, be joyful in hope and I spent quite a bit of time back at the beginning of Philippians chapter 3 helping us understand that when Paul says rejoice, he doesn't just say be glad and put a smile on that face and you just need to, you know, be happier. It's rejoice in what? Rejoice in the Lord. So give me just a moment to remind you of what that means. Rejoicing in the Lord means that there ain't nothing you could tell me that would steal away from me the joy of the promise completed work of Jesus Christ. I am locked, solid, reserved as one of his children, and no man or woman on earth can steal that from me. That's joy in the Lord. And that's repeated here. I want to make sure that we're on the same page with that. 
Paul does, however, there repeat it. He says, again, I will say rejoice. Uh, this word to rejoice uh, means to be calmly happy or cheerful. Uh, there was one time I was dropping Micah off to school and he got up early. It was one of those nights. Of, sorry, this was his face going to school, right? And I kept trying to get him to, you know, if you start your day off like that, that's how, you know, you're going to find people kind of mirror whatever you're offering to them. And so I said, sometimes you can actually cheer yourself up by just, just smiling. Just try it. Like if you're feeling sad and I, I mean, it snowed again. Who's tired of snow, right? I mean, we can see depression easily, but what if you just smile? Just try it sometime when you're feeling low. Just say, I'm just going to smile. And people driving by are going to be confused as to why you're just, you know, smiling. (laughs) But what you'll find is that very soon those cares will, will dissipate. Now, Paul does want you to be cheerful. But again, the cheerfulness that we have is a cheerfulness that comes because we know the end of the story. And it's joyful in hope. It's the hope of Jesus Christ's promise. It's the hope of his return. And we have joy in that. Here's a beautiful passage. I know that you've heard it before. It comes out of the book of Isaiah. The prophet writes these words. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths will grow faint and tired and young men will stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not be faint. The the, the key to this again is the same thing Paul's telling the church. If you want to have peace in your circumstances, we've got to learn to embrace joy in life. And that joy is found in the exact proper place for those who belong to the family, which is the hope of Jesus Christ. It's in hope. This is where we find peace. I was watching my sister. Uh, she is a Division uh, two NCAA basketball coach in Ohio, and they're in playoff season right now. So they were streaming the game live, and I was watching this game. And I pulled in at halftime, and she's down 27 points. I mean, it is not a good situation. First of all, what are you, what are you doing on offense that lets you get down 27 points? That's a whole other topic. I need to talk to her sometime about that. But imagine, imagine if I somehow knew the end of the story. Imagine if I knew that they were actually going to win that game. You guys watch sports. You know what it's like when the team's down. Do you have peace, or are you like me, shouting at the screen? Anybody? <laughs> Faster and do better, right? Because there's this anxiety. But what if you knew that the win was a lock? What if you knew that it was going to be the exact way that you had hoped that it would be? You, you, you would be exactly what this word means. You'd be calmly happy. Everyone else would be freaking out around you, but you'd be like, no, it's, it's going to be fine. I know the end. Church, this is what you and I have been offered. Uh, the two illustrations that I love the, birth, the, the best are that of an engagement and, um, and a birth announcement. These are two things that you are very um, brave if you decide to confide in me that you're pregnant and don't tell anybody. Or I'm going to ask the question, but don't tell anybody. Both times I really got to lock that down tight. But here's the thing. I kind of get a little bit excited about that. So yeah, maybe, maybe I am a little bit sensitive type of man, Sandy. <laughs> that that I, I get fired up. I get excited when I know something like that's happening because it's going to happen. Right? If someone's going to pop the question, you know there's going to be a moment of celebrating and joy in the future. It's not there yet. 
It's not today, but it's going to be in the future. And if someone tells you we're going to have a baby, you know that in a matter of time, joy and celebration that it's like nothing you would know is going to be true. It's going to happen. Not today, but someday. This is what we have, church. And if you want to know peace in your circumstances, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. So that's number three. Uh, Pursue reconciliation. You need to be a type of people who rejoice. Number three, if you want to have peace with your enemies. This is a a tough one for a lot of us. Verse five says, let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. The, The key to peace with enemies is gentleness. What Paul is saying here, again, is referenced in Romans 12. He says these words after he says, um, be joyful in hope. He says, be patient in affliction. And, and for many Christians in that day, that was a type of persecution unlike what you and I face. But no doubt, if you were honest this morning, there'd be a, a list of people who you'd prefer not to talk to, who you may even categorize as enemies, that I really want nothing to do with them. And they have nothing nice to say. And truthfully, I don't have anything nice to say about them either. Well, listen to how you should act in the family of God. Because it isn't eye for an eye. It isn't tooth for a tooth. You and I are called to be patient. And these are Paul's words further in Romans 12. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, declares the Lord. I I want to draw your attention. If you could, I'd invite you to even turn there. uh, Because the passage in Romans 12, verse 20, is one that we just got to listen to again. We need to hear this repeatedly. We need to hear this in our world today. Romans 12, verse 20. Paul says, on the contrary. And then he quotes this passage. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. It's the Lord's job to repay. It is not yours and mine. And sometimes I forget that. Now, most of the time, uh, the Spirit's work of sanctifying in my life or my own cowardice doesn't actually retort with retort. I, I'm, I'm a little bit more cowardly than that. Or maybe God's just working on me. I hope that's the case. But I still need to be reminded to love those who would want to vilify me. And there is no law against love. Now, how do you do this? How, how, could you, how, you and I, how could we possibly do this? Because you know what it's like when somebody mistreats you. You know, you know what that feels like. And it, it's not right. A lot of it, I don't know if you're like me. If, if I'm preaching myself here in church today, but I like to defend myself. If there's an accusation made against me, I want to be like, well, time out. I'm not sure you understood that properly. Uh, let me just defend myself here. But that's not the model that's presented to me. In 1 Peter, uh, we are given a picture into the heart of Jesus because Jesus walked the path of Calvary. Do you remember what that story was like? Folks there were not cheering him on like in a race. They were beating and accusing. They were mistreating. They were insulting. They were making threats. They beat the crown of thorns onto his brow. They ripped the robe of mockery off him after being flogged. And they nailed him to a cross. And what does Jesus say as he's being nailed to the cross? Father, forgive them. That's a pretty high standard for us to live up to if that's what's laid before us. So here's the question. How is Jesus able to do that? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. Listen to what Peter says. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. 
When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul wants to tell the church, you need to let gentleness be the reputation that people see in you. Be very careful how quickly you you and I are to fly off the handle and and really probably rightly balance the scales out and let let me set the record straight. We've got to be careful with that. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus waited for justification to be something God gave. Jesus waited that the scales would be leveled not because he had something to say. And who thinks Jesus had something to say? I bet you Jesus could have, you know, really, I was going to say tore them a new one, but that's probably not a right way to characterize Jesus. (laughs) I mean, the this, this Son of Man, the Son of God, would here be justified in anything that he would say. You and I sometimes think we are, but if anyone ever was, he was. But did he? Is that what he did? No. He didn't say anything. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So back in Philippians 4, I want to show you again, verse 5. Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? Because the Lord is near When I was growing up, occasionally I would antagonize my younger sister. Occasionally. (laughs) Apparently I'm in church, so I need to be honest. Occasionally, right? And one of the things that she very quickly learned that she could do to like pull a trump card on me was say, uh, I'm going to tell dad when dad gets home, you're going to be in trouble. Now, I knew I was. At that point, like if she was willing to go toe-to-toe with me, I could keep having fun with her as far as I could see, right? But as soon as she said, I'm going to tell dad. Mm. <laughs> now, now that's it for me. This is what Paul is trying to get us to, commun- to, trying to communicate to us, right? When you and I allow ourselves to be abused by this world and really let love and gentleness be there. When you're slapped on one cheek, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Feed, the, feed your enemies. Give, give them something to drink. Because why? Because we do the same thing Jesus did. We're entrusting judgment to be his to repay. It's not ours. We're not the Avengers. It's not up to us to give the balance to the scales. God will take care of that. And he wants the church at Philippi to know that because he says the Lord is near. I'm not, my mom never said, just wait till your father gets home because I, I was a wonderful child to my mom. So she never had to do that. But that's essentially what... I'm not off the rails here. Track with me. This is essentially what Paul is saying. He's saying that you can let your gentleness be known because the Lord is near. Judgment will be taken care of. What I want you to know tonight or this morning is that peace with your enemies is found by you and I pursuing gentleness with them. Uh, Really, this word could otherwise be translated as being patient. And that's what Paul said in, in Romans 12. Be patient in your affliction. Well, you and I are waiting for God to set all things right. That's the answer to this. Number four, peace in turmoil. And this is a big key right now. This is a big one for a lot of people. Peace in turmoil is found with thanksgiving. If you look with me again in verse six, he says, do not be anxious about anything. So even there, we're all like, fail. (laughs) Don't be anxious about anything. Yeah, anything. But in everything... By prayer and petition. And up, up to this point, a lot of you are doing good. For the majority of Christians, I don't think so many of you are just kind of holding on to your little situations and just fussing over them. For the majority of Christians, I think you are praying. Come on, show of hands. Do you pray over circumstances? I want to see a lot of hands go up for that. This is what the church ought to be doing. But there's a key that will give you peace. 
we're doing, we're doing good so far. We're presenting our requests. We're presenting our petitions. But what's the key here? How, do you, how are we commanded to do it? With thanksgiving. This is the place that so many of us miss. And this diffuses the work of the enemy. I'm, I'm trying to give you right now in the same way that a, a, a military officer is going to give a soldier what he needs for combat. Let me wear that outfit for a moment this morning. You are going into battle. There is an adversary called the devil who is going to desire to sow seeds of discouragement, of discontentedness, of miscommunication and misunderstanding to separate you or to inwardly feel this anxiety. The devil's going to love to do this. You want to know how to beat him? Thanksgiving is how you beat him. You can present your prayers. You can present your requests to God. But if you are not also doing that with thanksgiving, you're going to miss the trust of a God who is sovereign over all of the mess that we face. You hear me this morning? Anything that you are facing today is not... Hitting God up in heaven like, say, what? What is going on? God knows exactly what you are facing. And he is allowing it to occur because he's got his beautiful plan of working all things together for the good of those who are called. That is you and I. But when we're just presenting, Lord, take this from me, and this is not what I want, and I wish you could, and we're forgetting to give thanks, well, then you're forgetting to see that there is a God above my circumstances. There is a God above my challenge and turmoil, and he is able to meet my needs because he knows what is best. We read this passage, and this is the reason I wanted Wendy to read them in reverse order this morning. Uh, You guys know the story of Daniel in the lion's den? Talk about a tough Tuesday, right, that you're going to get thrown into the lion's den. Here was the situation. The government said, worship the king or, or die. Um, Daniel's going to worship God. And so all these little pesky enemies of him, they start conspiring and they go to the king and they say, look, we found this Jewish guy that's still continuing to pray to his God and, and not to you. And, uh, and you wrote the law and the law says we got to kill him. So what are you going to do? When Daniel heard that this was the decree, when he heard that this was going to happen, which would you characterize that as a challenge? Would you characterize that as kind of a turmoil in your life? I want you to see his response one more time. Daniel 6. When Daniel learned about the decree that had been published, he went to his home, to his upstairs room where the windows were open towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed. Now, if the, if the verse stopped there, we would find that there's a problem with that. Because we all do that. Everybody's still praying, right? But that's not what he did. What did Daniel do when he prayed? He gave thanks to God. Just as he had always done before. Look, there's nothing that any man can do to you here. There's nothing any woman, there's nothing any government can do that God's sovereign control over your life is not able to handle. And if you want to know peace and kind of the mess that we live in, it's hard Try to find a way to thank God for what you're facing. Try to find a way to thank God for all those blessings and things that you and I have in life that we don't often thank him for. Another uh, kind of parallel passage out of Colossians, Paul says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So there's peace right there. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. That's the idea of reconciliation. And be, and what do you think the word is there? Thankful. That's the key. If you want to know the key that will unlock peace in your life, the pastor is telling you it's not prayer. 
It's thanksgiving in prayer. Is everybody with me on this? Say amen if you're with me on this. That was so weak. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to do more on this. If you want, let, let me give you one other illustration for this, all right? I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of get a little dated here. It's a little bit out of season. But I think this video clip is going to help you uh, see what I'm trying to talk about a little better. you to be discouraged. The devil wants to destroy the momentum of God's glory that God is working through you. And so he's going to do that by lying to you and having you to believe that your difficult circumstances, boy, those are just the worst. But if you, like the Whoville folks here, if you begin to give thanks for God in the middle of circumstances, that's what happens to the devil. That's what his face looks like. What? I don't, I don't understand. I, I took away this person's health. I took away this person's children. I took away this person's possessions. Who am I referring to in the Old Testament? Job. And the response that causes the devil bewilderment is when God's children give him thanks just the same. There, there's no answer for that. You will diffuse. You will disarm. You will have victory over the evil one. And more than that, you will find that you have peace in your life. I found this one picture on, um, on a Facebook post. It listed everything that's hard in our lives. So number one was early wake-ups. And I'll read it for you if it's a little small to read. And then uh, the person decided to give thanks for why they're waking up early. It's because they have children to love. 
Number two was a house to clean. Yeah, that's a rough day sometimes, especially if there's a week's load of laundry that you got to do. Um, you give thanks, though, you have a safe place to live. Laundry's next, right? But you have clothes to wear, dishes to wash, mean we have food to eat. Crumbs under the table mean we have family meals. Grocery shopping means that we have money that God's given to provide for us. Uh, toilets to clean mean we have indoor plumbing. Uh, yeah. uh, lots of noise means there's people in my life. Endless questions about homework means my kids' brains are growing. And tired and sore in bed, I'm still alive. Like every single one of the things that you would find discouragement for, every challenge that you face, if you want to diffuse the devil and find peace in your life, you turn it around on him and you give thanks. Now, tell me amen if you got this. Amen. All right, last one here, peace in action. And the answer to find peace in action is with practice. I, I just want to direct your attention back to our scripture as, as we conclude here. Verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable... If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on those things. And then look at verse 9. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, what's the command after this? Put it into practice. I, 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 I want you to know, church, I'm so thankful for you. I really feel like the church here in Savola is such a special family. Um, and I, I don't ever want to wear out my welcome here by challenging you, but I want you to know that coming to church is pointless if you're not willing to put it into practice. Reading God's word is pointless unless you are willing to apply it to your life. In your sermon notes, I handed you kind of a, a primary form of application today. And you know what? This could be just something you throw in the trash or let me challenge you maybe. that Maybe for one of the first times, you would be so brave to fill in these blanks. Because if you want to have peace in your life, you got to put it into practice. I would challenge you as you look here, it says write down, try to do this when you get home. Try to write down something that's true. Write down something that's noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Fill in the blanks here. And then let your mind dwell on those things. Let that be the characteristic of being part of the family of God. That that's what we do to honor one another. And to honor the God that has given us such wonderful things. Let's turn all of this around from how the world would have us to really victimize ourselves and feel bad and have a pity party for ourselves. And let's instead say, no, my God is greater than my circumstances. I can praise him by dwelling on this. I want to challenge you secondly. Number two is this. Uh, who do you need to make peace with today? Paul calls, her, calls them out. Judea, Syntyche, you need to agree in the Lord. You, you worked at my side. You worked in the cause of the gospel. Your names are in the book of life. Get it together now while you can. Uh, this is super important, church. Anybody, even if you think, and I've done this before, I, I, I've even felt like maybe somebody would have something against me. I want to make sure, even if there isn't legitimate reason, I want to clear that up with them. Pursue reconciliation. Four quarters in a the dollar. There's more than one way to skin a cat. Work it out while you can. But do that today. And then lastly, what is the challenge that you are facing today? And for many of you, it's tough. I know of a lot of them. They're very difficult circumstances. With loved ones, with relationships that are broken, um, with needs that you don't see the future on. Just literally going about your business, trusting God by faith that he's got to provide for us again today. This is my challenge to you. Make a prayer based upon those circumstances and say, Lord, I give you thanks today for, and you finish it. Fill in the blank. 
Let's not give the devil a foothold in our lives. Let's resist the temptation of our world to victimize ourselves. Let's live beyond our flesh and our desire to eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Let us pursue peace because that's what it looks like in the family. That's the picture. Even nostalgic as it may be, this is what is true for the family of God. This is how we're called to live and treat one another. Will you bow and pray with me today?